All right, I'm here with Dr. Eugene Lipov and Jamie Mustard, best-selling authors of The Invisible Machine, The Startling Truth About Trauma and Scientific Breakthrough. I'm sorry, A Scientific Breakthrough That Can Transform Your Life, both pioneers in the area of dual sympathetic reset procedure. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having us on. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Dr. Lipov, I just finished your book just the other night, and I was just blown away at really how you kind of stumbled upon this procedure that's been going on since like the early 1920s, but now it's like been revitalized. It seems like there's like this new uh, resurgence of it, the renaissance, if you will, of doing it again, and, and you're like the pioneer really spearheading that, and it just always blows me away. Like, that's great, but how did, how did you get here? Not, you know, how did you get started and, and learn about this procedure, uh, being an anesthesiologist, I believe? I. Uh, Thank you. Um, well, first of all, yes, I'm definitely an anesthesiologist for sure. Uh, well, I, I would say it's not a resurgence. I think it's a repurposing. What's new about it is we're repurposing the procedure for mental health. So typically anesthesiologists like, such as myself who specialize in pain medicine take care of pain medicine. So the history of the procedure was the first time Stella Ginglian block was ever done. That's one level injection here. 1926 for asthma. What were they noticing? Sorry to cut you off, but what were they noticing back in the 1920s that if you do a Stella Ganglion block here, and that's when you're pointing to the neck, for the people that are just listening to audio, they may not be able to see, you're kind of pointing to the neck area. Are you, is that, would that be what I think is in the book is you, have, you talk about C3, the cervical spine, and C6 a lot. Is that kind of what you're talking about? And what was it doing for asthma back then? I don't even know how the correlation would be. That's, that's a tremendous question. So, well, first of all, there are seven vertebrae in any mammal. Giraffe has seven, we have seven. So C7 is the bottom of the neck. C6 is right above it. C3 is almost up to the uh, skull. So the standard technique was C6 or C7 Stelleganglion block, one level. So they were doing it when they found that if you do an injection for asthma, it takes away asthma away. It's a really complicated reason. I actually wrote a paper on that a couple of years ago explaining a lot of the effects. It's crazy how that works, but that, that's outside this realm. Anyway, so uh, so we started doing it, we being anesthesiologists, pain doctors. So as pain doctors, we have been doing stellar ganglion blocks for arm pain, burning hand primarily, since the 40s. The first time I ever did a stellar ganglion block was 1987 for CRPS or burning of the hand. And then, you know, I've been doing it for a number of years. And then I had a patient that had half flashes and we treated her half flashes using stellate. Actually, my brother came up with the concept uh, because he thought, you know, half flashes, everything is hot, burning hand, same thing. And I said- His brother's a physician, by the yeah. way. He's just not, he's not a random guy that came up with the idea. <laughs> he's a very smart doc. Anyway, so yeah. we did the procedure and took away the half flashes. We published that worked well. Then Chicago Tribune came by to do a paper on me, uh, basically saying how it's working. So they said, yes, it's working, but basically you're an incompetent hack because you don't know how, you don't know why it works. So you shouldn't be doing it. So I didn't disagree with that, shall we say. And they, what I tried to do is figure out why it works for half flashes. So I came across one paper from Finland where there were, putting a trocar in the chest, putting the 
moving the lung out of the way and clipping the nerves in the chest. And they, they were doing it for hand sweats. They found the PTSD went away. So I read that paper and I thought, that's crazy how that works. I didn't, whatever. Anyway, so I looked at the anatomy. It turns out chest nerve goes to the neck nerve. From the neck, it goes to the brain. And that affects PTSD. So I called up my brother. I said, send me a patient with PTSD. He had one like that who was robbed at gunpoint and all type of bad things happened. Two months later, he was on his way to his psych ward. So we did an injection in the neck and his PTSD went away. That led to my first publication in 2008. And then that led to people following my work in Walter Reed, the Navy. I gave testimony in front of Congress and off we went. And then as we progressed, I'll, I'll give you more information later, but we found that when you do an injection two levels, C6 and C3, that's called DSR, dual sympathetic reset. Because we're doing two levels instead of one, that seems to be more effective. So that's our current latest and the greatest technique. Yeah, so so amazing. I, I follow, uh, you know, you guys know my background and just uh, I'm into this health. I'm into the biohacking. I understand a lot of this. And until reading your book, I never heard of DSR. And so I'm just so grateful that you are putting this out there so that more people in the world can learn. And I'm hoping that this podcast and many others will help promote it because it just it, it after reading your book, there's just so much transformation that can be done, as you know, through just the PTSD or PTSI as referred to the book, the injury, because that's what it really is. It's not a disorder. For most people, it's an injury. And guess what? When you change the input that the body receives, the body can heal. It just needs the right input. And that's what you guys are doing. So, yeah, yeah so grateful. about the PTSI thing, where did that came from? Please. So there is an amazing psychiatrist out there. Thankfully, he's still alive. Frank Ogbert. He was the number two man for NIMH, which is National Instant Mental Health. Uh, he was part of the terminology development in 1980 for PTSD. So he came up with the term Stockholm Syndrome. You may have heard of that. That's his terminology. So in 19, I think 2005 or 2006, he started to propagate this concept, PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury. Basically, if there is an emotional trauma, not physical trauma, no blow to the head, the brain changes. And we know that based on advanced scanners, such as PET scan and FMR, things like that. So when somebody says PTSD is an invisible wound, my answer is you have the wrong scanner. If you have the right scanner, you'll be able to see it. Let me, can, let me, can I comment on that about Frank? Frank Ockber, he coined the terms post-traumatic stress injury because post-trauma creates a biological change in the body. Uh, Dr. Lipoff in the early 2000s figured out a way to reset the body to the pre-trauma state um, in a simple um, outpatient procedure over one to two days. Um, in 1970, uh, Mr. Ockwork wrote a book with a bunch of Stanford scientists called uh, Violence and the Struggle for Existence. Um, Coretta Scott King did the foreword to that book because it was two years after Martin Luther King was assassinated. And there's a chapter in that book called Biology and aggression. And one of the things that they're proposing in that book, this is 50 years ago, is that we know that trauma is biological. And the reason we know is because if you traumatize an animal, a cat, a goat, a sheep, any animal, okay, uh, it changes. It either gets very hostile or very timid. It's not, doesn't have a disorder. We've changed its biology. And, but they just didn't know how. So when, but, but Dr. Lipoff with his uh, dual sympathetic reset 
uh, he uh, basically 35 years later uh, found that mechanism of what is causing that change towards timidity or aggression from trauma and the symptoms that, that make one act that way. And he's able to reset it um, in a simple outpatient procedure uh, without drugs that is 85 to 90% effective in the, in the relief of the worst symptoms of uh, post-traumatic stress. It's it's amazing, Jamie. And, and actually, on your note, I was just thinking, and I, and I can't remember if this. I've read so many books now; I'm getting them all mixed up. But I think maybe in the book, you guys talk about speaking of animals. If a, if a duck or an animal gets stressed, right, they they will shake. They shake because it, with the shaking actually pushes that um, that simp, that that stress out of the body. And uh, I can't remember if it was your book or not, but they were they were talking about like, but if a duck or whatever they get in a fight, they'll just they'll shake it off and they, they fight and then they come right back into their clan or wherever they're at and it's gone. They're, they're back into it. But so I was just thinking about the whole biology of it. You're, you're right. We all think of this psychology, you know, it's, oh, it's a psychological issue. It's a mental disorder. No, there's, there's visible trauma, as you said, from Dr. Amen talking about spec scans and, and fMRIs and all those kind of things. So, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can see it on when Dr. I'll, I'll, I'll say this in my layman's terms, and then you can fix me. What Dr. Lipov is talking about is if you were to use an fMRI scan on somebody that has post-traumatic stress symptoms, feels it in their body, you would see overactivity in their amygdala and you might see de decreased uh, blood flow to their frontal cortex, okay? So he goes in, he does this injection, it's the same $2 amount of anesthesia that goes into an epidural. So the pharmaceutical companies will never back it because it, you, don't need, you don't need to be dependent after you do this, right? And he basically, it's like rebooting a computer. He turns off the sympathetic nervous system with this um, anesthesia it reboots 15 minutes later. It takes a few hours for it to wear off the day, but it really reboots about 15 minutes later. And when it comes back online, it comes back line at baseline, pre-trauma state. So what's really important about what you said earlier, uh, Joel, about you know when, when you would talk about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or mental illness, is that's not what's going on when you see a traumatized person. When you see a traumatized person, you see you have a person with a broken leg you can't see. It is a physiological injury that we can now see and treat. And calling it a disorder or calling it mental illness, A, it's scientifically false, it's not true. And B, it's incredibly stigmatizing and it doesn't open up an opportunity for progress or fixing it. I believe that Dr. Lipov's innovation, he may, he'll find this incredibly, uh, he's humble, but I think it is the most important medical innovation since the discovery of penicillin in 1928. Uh, in terms of the numbers, far more outweighs, uh, if you look at how many people a year were saved by the polio vaccine in terms of lives lost, um, you might look at 50,000 people a year. If you look at people that that do, even from the mildest forms of, of, of post-traumatic stress to suicidal ideation, you really, when you, um, we could talk about what the symptoms are, people that do this uh, do not end up committing suicide. You know, the amount of lives saved from lack of suicide, less suicides alone, let alone all the various physical disease that's caused by the, uh, the, the sympathetic nervous system being stuck in fight or flight. The amount of lives saved, saved by Dr. Lipov's innovation uh, profoundly dwarfs even uh, the polio vaccine. Well, so hold on. So now I have to speak kind of medical, right? <laughs> that's potentially true. We don't have, I don't have, you know, if somebody asks me, it's like, show me the, 
show me the evidence. Show me the evidence of success rates. So uh, success is 80 to 90% is about right. Uh, as far as suicide, we know the first publication of using Stelly Ganglion Block for um, prevention of uh, suicide was in 2013. It was somebody who followed my work, actually, in Hawaii. Uh, but potentially, I think you're right. I mean, we can have a market impact on suicidality, which is great. And depression, the other part that people don't think about is PTSD itself ages the body much quicker. And that leads to heart attacks, strokes, things like that. So there's multiple physiological effects. One of the other things I wanted to go back to the animals. So I happen to be the first person ever to treat PTSD called VPTSD, which is veterinary PTSD in a dog. So I took care of a guy, I'm not a guy, uh, a, uh, a dog that was accompanying dog for a veteran and he got stuck underneath a car and got burned. So he had a significant change in his symptomatology and he was very aggressive. They had to give him THC, they had to give him Xanax, not very different than what happens. So we did the block and he did really good, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah. Wow. Really quick. Um, you know, just, we, we jumped into this right away, but, uh, Jamie, you know, I didn't, we, we know Dr. Lipov's background as an anesthesiologist, but, uh, you know, people might be wondering that listening to your voice, well, who's Jamie Mustard? Why, why is he on the <laughs> show too? And what's, what does he care so much about DSR? Maybe just give people a, a quick run back. Uh, we'll Tarantino this episode and kind of go back in time and maybe sure. kind of tell everybody what, uh, sure. why you're so passionate about this. Well, I'm the co-author of this book with Dr. Lipov, which doesn't make, you know, uh, obvious sense <laughs> uh, because I'm an interdisciplinary artist and kind of a, uh, a writer and I, and, I, and I write about art philosophy and brand and communication as well as being an artist. Um, so, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I was somebody that had to overcome a tremendous amount in life. Uh, it was like uh, my, my childhood was Limity Stickett's series of unfortunate events. I was abandoned by my parents. Uh, at a very young age and kind of raised, you know, in and out of institutional environments. Um, I lived in extreme poverty, you know, you know, 10, you know, seven people in a, a, a slum apartment near downtown Los Angeles without air conditioning. Didn't go to school growing up, uh, had my parents kind of in and out of my life. So I had all of these setbacks that I kind of had to overcome. I was given some opportunities um, in my late teens to get a hand up. Uh, and I took advantage of those opportunities. In a very short period of time, I went from kind of semi-literacy to not having the kind of, you know, yoke of poverty on my back or the crush of poverty on my back. I was able to quickly realize that I was smart. And I went from remedial classes at a community college to graduating from the London School of Economics in five years. And um, so I'd lived these, this extreme life of being around the poorest people in the world to very quickly in college and after being around some of the most wealthy people in the world with the most opportunity. And, you know, what, one of the things that drove me was I, if I can get away from poverty and ignorance towards education and abundance or uh, material sub substance, then my pain will go away. And so when I got to the university, this privileged university in England, uh, and I saw just as much or more pain there, um, I was confused. I was like, how can these people not, how can they have the same trauma that 
was inflicted upon me, but I was in a, in a physical, in a harsh physical environment. And it wasn't until I met Dr. Lipoff, you know, 25 years later or something that I, uh, that I realized why. So, so um, because of the way I grew up, um, you know, seven, eight years ago, when I started to kind of really achieve some success in my work, uh, I thought that was going to give me a comfort and like I, my life would be more comfortable. My physical body would feel more comfortable. And I, the quite, and when it didn't feel more comfortable, uh, it made me, I got really curious and nervous. Like, you know, hey, I'm achieving all these things I set out to do and I'm not more comfortable. Why? And I met a, uh, uh, a, uh, there, I met a military doctor who is now the chief psychology officer at the Stella Center, where um, Dr. Lipov is the chief medical officer. And she had done a tremendous amount of work with the military and was uh, a director at TAPS for 15 years. She went to Harvard, really brilliant doctor named Dr. Shauna Springer. And she told me, started talking to me about how trauma was physiological. And at that point, I had, you know, you know, I was cure. I wanted to feel comfortable in my body. And I had seen, you know, a therapist for the first time in the, in the, in the previous five years who diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress where I kind of, where I, where I laughed in her face and didn't want to accept that, but eventually came to accept it. So this was a practical, so when this, when she started telling me about this practical physiological tool that fixed it and how it was the same symptoms that one has if they're running from a tiger and she kind of went through the symptoms I got um, very curious and I braved COVID and I went to Chicago in the winter <laughs> in the middle of COVID to do this very bizarre vanilla sky type procedure uh, with Dr. Lipov and uh, it completely transformed my life. But I saw it from a completely different perspective. You know, Dr. Lipoff was seeing it in terms of combat veterans. Nobody is using this more than the military, has studied it more than the military. He was seeing it in terms of first responders. When I saw these symptoms of operator syndrome, there were uh, these kind of seven symptoms, eight symptoms of running from the tiger, which we can get into, I didn't see combat veterans. I saw the Mexican neighborhoods where I grew up in Los Angeles. So we, I was able to see his work maybe from a completely different perspective. And, uh, you know, we, he came into the post-op and he said, who are you? You know, I'm supposed to treat you well. And I said, oh, I'm a writer. And, you know, I, I've got a bit of a platform here and there. And then he left and then he came back and he said, uh, hey, um, this is going to wear off in about six or seven hours. How about I pick you up at the hotel and I take you to dinner? So we went to this, we talked about this in the book. He took me to this Mexican restaurant in the middle of COVID with the windows blowing and we, uh, and he bought a bottle of red wine and started pouring it and talk. And, and he gave me a three hour lecture on the science. And um, uh, I was staggered uh, by it. And uh, I, I remember I had a friend of mine who was there supporting me, who was also getting the procedure. And when he sped off in his Tesla after that three hour lecture at dinner, I turned to my friend and I said, uh, I think we just had dinner with the smartest person I've ever met. And because it was the, it was the breakdown of the science in relation to my life experience. And he had all the data. And because when I was at the London School of Economics, I kind of fell in love with data. So the, I, these worlds just started coming together in a way for me that was just very profound. And I'd, it was something I'd never thought about before. I wasn't really interested in trauma. I was kind of ashamed of where I came from. I was humiliated by what happened to me. And I was, until I met Dr. Lipov, I was really at a point in my life where I was like, I just want to forget about that and focus on making art 
creating, focus on the future. Uh, but it was so profound what I saw and what he was doing. I thought maybe I can use art and we can team up and I can help amplify uh, getting this to the masses of, you know, getting this to, I think, you know, 50% of, we talked about this in the pre-interview, Joel, but I think 50% of the U.S. population uh, has an, an overactive sympathetic system uh, bro stuck in their, uh, an over a sympathetic nervous system stuck in fight or flight, which is the equivalent, literally, not literally, but but I literally, in terms of the metaphor, the sim, uh, uh, it's equivalent to a broken leg you can't see, and you can see it on a brain scan. Yeah. So crucial. Jamie, I love what you said, too, because I think everyone can resonate with your story. And what I loved in the book is, you know, you're, you're – and I think we all, I just turned 41 and where there's this, you go through these levels of your life of self-realization, like who am I? And like, I thought I made it and I'm supposed to be successful and I got all these things and I'm achieving all of this, but gosh darn it, I still don't feel whole. I don't feel successful and I don't feel like I've made it. Why is that? And I think you even said in the book, the, the psychiatrist or psychologist, I would get those two confused. She says to you, Jamie, you clearly are demonstrating PTSI or PTSD. And you're like, no, no, you're, you must be crazy. Like that's for people like combat veterans, but we don't realize the trauma that we take on from zero to seven and even as we grow up all these micro traumas and we think oh, I had a pretty quote-unquote normal life and it wasn't that bad or I didn't I didn't have I had a pretty decent family but there's a lot of traumas I think that we're unaware of and next thing you know we're 40 50 and we we start to you know amass these and um I just think it's great that like what you mentioned I think a lot of people can relate to that and Going back, like you said, I think the book, we talked 30 to 40%. I think it's much higher. You think it's much higher. There's, we are so sympathetic in a, such a sympathetic-driven state. This procedure can really be universal and beneficial for everybody. You don't have to be a combat veteran. So, I like, Yeah, I'd, I'd like to comment on that and turn it over to you. Gene. One of the reasons I was really excited about this show is the, you know, the hacked life you know, the, and, and this idea of biohacks. Because I really do think Dr. Lipov uh, invented, pioneered, uh, the greatest biohack in the history of humanity. I mean, he can reset the sympathetic nervous system to the pre-trauma state. And I've seen the data. I've seen the military study. 60 Minutes has covered it. Joe Rogan's covered it. He was a regular guest on The Doctor Show. There's a lot of evidence. Barack Obama uh, endorsed this as far back as 2008. Okay. So, you know, this is not something... And now a private equity firm the Stel uh, has, opened, uh, has teamed up with a doctor to open up the Stella Center, uh, and they're opening up clinics all over the world using Dr. Lipov's or the Stella Center protocols, uh, which are the, the leading protocols in the world for efficacy. And it's 85 to 90% of people get permanent relief from this. Yeah. And with, uh, um, so I do think this is the ultimate biohack. Um, and you have to look at this thing in relation to kind of Peter Levine's book. I don't know when he wrote, when he wrote that book, uh, Running from the Tiger. You know, Dr. Lipov talks a lot about the major symptoms you see with an over sympathetic overactive sympathetic nervous system are what you would see in a person if they were running from a tiger. They'd have about seven or eight symptoms. They would be anxious. They would have mild paranoia that the tiger was going to get them. They would have a sense of doom that the tiger was about to take them. They would be hyper vigilant. They would be hyper aroused. They wouldn't sleep because you can't sleep when you're running from a tiger. All, a lot of these soldiers come back from Afghanistan with ED, erectile dysfunction, because you can't have sex when you're running from the tiger. Uh, they have a hair trigger. You're reactive when you're running from a tiger. And in the most extreme cases in the military, if you're if you're feeling like you're going to die all the time, which is what you feel in a, in, on, on, on a spectrum, if you have an overactive sympathetic uh, 
tripped in your body. If you're stuck in fight or flight, we can talk about the science of this. Um, but if you're stuck in fight or flight, you're basically feeling on some level of a spectrum like you could die at any moment, okay, which is very useful to her survival if you're actually running from a tiger. If you're sitting and drinking, you know, uh, a Pepsi and uh, on your couch uh, eating brownies, uh, trying to watch uh, Netflix, and you're feeling that way, uh, it's absolutely horrible um, because you feel bad and you don't know why. Um, so in the extreme of this, so I give you the kind of general symptoms we see. They're all, the simplest way to look at it is how would you feel if you were running from a tiger? The extreme of that, if you felt like you were going to die all the time, in the military where people are trained to protect, if you feel like you're going to die all the time, eventually you will want to die. So it manifests itself as suicide. So most people, so that's what's most incredible about this. With extreme trauma, if someone has suicidal ideation you, and they get a dual sympathetic reset, which is just a reboot of the nervous system, it's the, the stories that Dr. Lipov sees every day are kind of hard to believe and hard, just incredible to watch. Um, and we want to bring this to the masses. In the neighborhoods where I grew up, where violence might be a little bit more acceptable, uh, it manifests itself as homicide. You know, you, you have this bundle of nerves in your neck that, that he resets. We're not going near the brain, but it's connected to the brain. He, he reboots these nerves. Um, but if you feel like you're good, you know, if you feel like you're going to die all the time or you uh, or you feel like a minor, you get into an argue, argument with someone in a neighborhood I grew up in over a donut should be just a minor argument. It means nothing. But because these nerves are gnawing to your neck, it tells you every situation is life or death. And then so in, in the neighborhoods where I grew up, it can manifest itself as homicide. So homicide and suicide being the ultimate form of fight or flight. Yeah, I want to. OK, Dr. Lipoff, I want to get into a little bit more of the science, if you will. And you talk about this in the book, I believe. And it was really neat because you were getting these amazing results. But even you said, I think. I don't even know really how this is working, but it's working. And you and nobody had really done the research, so it wasn't your fault that you didn't know. You were getting all these amazing results, but there wasn't a lot on it. Talk about because uh, eventually you do kind of figure out why C three, why C six is so important, and how it's actually kind of. I think you refer to the book pruning the neurons of stress that were originally there. Can you kind of talk about that? Yeah. So well, let's start with the first book. First publication, I think it find interesting. So, so I was getting good results for great results with half lashes treatment and PTSD. So I went to my wife, and my wife is very smart. She has a degree in biochemistry, but she's also very direct. So I said, "It's working for this. It's working for pain." She goes, "You're so full of shit. It's not possible." One thing can—that's a good wife, by the way. Yeah, and all of that. So I'm like, okay, all right, all right, fine. So how about if I write a paper? She goes, oh, you go do that. <laughs> so I wrote a paper. Uh, the, the title of the paper is Unified Theory of Cell Ganglion Block. So I was trying to understand why would the block take away pain, half flushes, and PTSD, all right? So the before PTSI. So it turns out what happens is when somebody has trauma, Let's say you see somebody get injured, not physical trauma. So the body produces NGF, nerve growth factor. If estrogen goes down in women, NGF goes up also, nerve growth factor. So when the nerve growth factor is produced in the brain, it gets carried to stellar ganglia, which is here. Once it hits the ganglia, it produces sprouting. So it makes the nerve... He's pointing to the neck, by the way. He's pointing to the neck when he says stellar ganglia. Yeah, yeah. Not the, sprouting yeah. in the neck. Okay. Yeah. 
Anyway, so yes, I'm pointing to that. So this NGF nerve factor goes down into the neck, into the ganglia. Once it hits that, it produces something called sprouting. So fight and flight nerves are called sympathetic nerves, technically. Once this molecule, nerve factor neurotropin, makes things grow, it, once it hits here, it makes that grow. So instead of, let's say, four sympathetic nerves, so fight and flight nerves, now you got eight. Each one of those nerves produce something called norepinephrine. Norepinephrine is like adrenaline. So if you take a CSF or the fluid from the brain from a soldier with PTSD, their norepinephrine level is twice as high than normal. That's been shown in the human, human body. What's CSF, Dr. Lipov? Blue surrounding the brain. So it's a okay. most accurate mm -hmm. way of looking how much norepinephrine is around the brain. Okay. So as long as you have this NGF in a sympathetic ganglia, this persists. So it turns out when you do the local anesthetic injection in the neck, it takes the NGF and reduces it. Once that happens, pruning happens. So all those extra nerves from eight goes back down to four. So two things happen. When you do, when you numb up the nerve, it's like if you numb up the nerve and you do uh, oral surgery, it's numb in about two, three minutes. As soon as you do that, norepinephrine level starts to drop. But it takes from the extra nerves, now fall off, so now you, you're going back to the baseline. So procedure or the local anesthetic lasts eight hours. But that fact, I've seen the longest outlier right now is 12 years, one injection. So that's that's what wow. that's where all this happens. Now the question is, where did the DSR come from? That's a different story. So we had a patient that I took care of. I burned some nerves in his neck to take away his neck pain. He was doing great. He comes in uh, with his wife, very upset, and he, he was a sniper in the Marines. And he said, I can't live like this anymore. And I said, let me put you in the hospital. He said, absolutely not. So I do the injection. C6 injection or stellar ganglion block. 40 minutes later, he's looking, it's like it didn't do anything. I'm still going to go home and kill myself. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's very frightening. He said, well, too bad. It's about me. So before I got into the PTSD ward, I was doing uh, injections for half flushes. So Norway country invited me to help them do things there for half flushes. So I learned how to do C3 block, which is a a uh, superior cervical ganglion, which is a technical term for it. Anyway, so I take this guy back to surgical room, and I do the other injection. On the way out, five minutes later, he said, I feel great, no problem. I'm like, what? What, the, what is that? I don't understand any of that. So I started looking around in old books. I found a book by James Moore from 1965, out of print since 1972, and it is a beautiful explanation of what happens. Turns out, Remember when we talked about the chest, where they go in the chest, the nerves here? So those nerves yeah. up to the neck, half of them go up to the brain following one artery called vitreal artery. The other half go up to internal carotid artery, go to a different part of the brain. So when you do a C6 block, you're doing a partial reboot. Think of a computer when you do Control-Alt-Delete. And it kind of works, kind of doesn't work. So when that happens, you unplug the computer, right? And you plug it back in. That's what we're doing. That's what DSR is. That's called a cold reboot in uh, tech terms. So, ba so basically, this thought that has been around since 1925, when he start, started messing around with it uh, in, in the early 2000s, he was reconfiguring it for hot flashes. He was moving it. 
you have this like ganglion, I believe, runs through your entire body, through the chest, into your down. No, where does it? How far down does it go? It goes into the chest, right? Let's talk about anatomy. Okay, you, you, you're my home, Jay. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I'll, I'll okay. stay in my lane. So, the, so sympathetic nervous system starts in the brain, nucleus ceruleus. It goes from the brain down the spinal cord. It goes down the spinal cord, ends up in the toes, but it goes down into the T2 level, so upper thoracic spine, comes out and forms a ganglion here. Those ganglion go up. Where's here? I can, we can't see where you're pointing. Where? Chest. Chest. Chest, okay. Right. See? Okay. Beautiful jacket. Anyway, yeah. uh, so T2 goes up to now the neck, which is C7, T1, right here, and goes up to the brain. The other half goes up to C3 and go to the other part of the brain. Does that answer the question? So, yeah. Yeah. Can I give my layman's, like my super simplified layman's yeah. non-scientific explanation of what he just said? I think we do. Yeah. Then we'll let him correct you too, Jamie. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, yeah. Okay. So when he, when, when, when Dr. Lipov, Eugene, because we're friends, uh, is talking about um, the C3 and the C6, he's talking about where on the spinal cord... Uh, the injection is given in the neck. Okay, so that's just a location. That's all he's saying there. But, you know, the way I describe this to people uh, in, in this kind of layman artist terms is I say this, is I say, you know, I give the running for the tiger example. You know, like when, when we, there's two things that cause this. One is blunt force trauma. I've been doing a lot of work with special forces. It was going to meet with special forces on my other book that, uh, partly brought me into this because I went down to Fort Bragg and, and um, that's part of how I got sucked into this whole thing. It's another part of the story. But um, uh, when you, when I was, what happens is when we have a near death experience or we experience st uh, stress, our amygdala sends a signal to this ganglion nerves in our neck, this select ganglion, which is the sympathetic nervous system. And that's what jerks us into action. That's that like instant response. We almost slip and fall down a mountain and we have the instant response. Okay, now, if that um, trauma is too much, the second largest cohort in the world that are getting this outside of the military, even more than first responders, is sexual assault victims. The people that are, are okay, so if the trauma is too much, as in a sexual assault, as in a first responding incident, as in a gunfight, as in seeing your buddy shot in front of you, the, this, the uh, sympathetic nervous system gets so heightened. Normally, if you have a near-death experience, you almost crash your car. Five hours later, you kind of breathe and you come back to baseline. Well, if it's too much, you don't come back to baseline. It gets stuck in fight or flight. And two things can cause that. One is this, this overwhelming single trauma. But more common, when I start talking about numbers of 50% of the global population, right? Um, more common is what's called allostatic load, okay? If you carry chronic stress for too long, um, then eventually you're basically running from tigers all the time. You're telling your, your body you're running from tigers all the time. So eventually you tell your body um, to stay stuck on because there's tigers everywhere. So it's caused both ways. And I think the more common way you can get it is from carrying allostatic load. You can get that from distant parents. You can get that from not having your emotional needs met as a child in a wealthy home. So, Jay, a lot of things can cause that. Can I interrupt yeah. for a second? 
So absolutely, and, doctor. Part of my job as uh, medical director of Stella is writing papers. So we published a paper in 2022. We looked at 22 different types of trauma: military trauma, sexual abuse, being ignored, starved, slavery, whatever, uh, sexual slavery, all type of horrible things that human beings do to each other. Turns out it seems to this sympathetic block seems to work across the board, all types of trauma. So the point is, fight and flight does not discriminate, right? It just basically, anytime you kick it on, and it also depends on how sensitive you are. For example, I took care of a kid who was very sensitive. He was walking down the hallway in high school. Somebody touched him in the shoulder. He got PTSD from that because it's overwhelming to his system. His sensory system was set so high, it turned him on. So that just to give you an understanding how wide it is. And the key point is, one of the big takeaways, a big part I was so excited to write a book about this with Jamie, is that if people understand that the fight and flight system is this resonant to trauma, you have to be A, careful, you have to be respectful of it. And when you do have those symptoms, that's why we put them in the book, you have to go get treated. Doesn't necessarily mean it has to be DSR, but get treated. Don't ignore it. Yeah. yeah. Amazing stuff. I, I want to ask you, because I'm sure on everybody's mind, they're already thinking, okay, this is too good to be true. This is amazing. You mentioned um, the effects typically. So if someone comes in and does this, the it'll last about 12 years. Is that about right? Or It's variable. So that's a, that's a great question. Okay. It, it's variable. So I think that's second most common question people ask me. Number one is, how did you even get there? Number two, how long does it last? Which is a fair question. So efficacy, realistic efficacy, I would say 80 to 85% is probably true. Maybe in 90s, it depends. But it depends on three things. Number one, it depends on your genetics. Some people are very sensitive, and those nerves grow back very easily. Number two, mm. it depends on what kind of aftercare you do. After you have, you feel good, everything's doing great. If you do some behavior therapy, yoga is great. One of my favorite things to make your brain grow, it's the only thing that's been shown to brain grow is meditation. I think that's very important. Diet and sleep. All the boring stuff nobody wants to do, but you just got to do it. And number three, what kind of trauma you get? Like we had a policeman who's doing great. He had to shoot somebody in line of duty a year later, and he had to come right back. But we, yeah. we really don't know exactly the length, but what it does seem to do is give you an opportunity to get out of the usual same old, same old, which is a huge deal. And the longest outlier from a single injection, right now is 12 years, and he was a combat vet uh, from Iraq. The longest outlier period was a special forces guy who had to shoot the 10-year-old kid in the line of duty. 16 years ago, he came home, tried to kill his wife three times. We did one injection. He did great. For three months, he saw fireworks, flipped him back. We did one more, and he's still doing well 16 years later. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Then, yeah, so the third, I, yeah. Go ahead, Jamie. Go ahead. I, just, I mean, listen, he has to be very careful about what he says because he's a scientist. Yeah. I'm an artist, so I can say whatever I want. Like, I don't get held to account. 
Listen, you know, one of the, you asked me kind of before the interview started what I most cared about in this interview. And, you know, I said the masses. I'm interested in the, the first responders, sexual assault victims, police officers who are not really aware of this enough. Um, the, 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 the people that, that associate with trauma, they're looking for relief. And we want to bring this to them because it is the fundamental. When you see your husband or your wife change after they've been through some traumatic, it can be a traumatic job. It can be being a social worker and listening to the stories horrors that are reaped upon children or, you know, all sorts of things can trip this. What I'm most interested in are the 30 to 40% of people that don't associate with trauma. You know, we sent a guy, a wealthy uh, businessman from Los Angeles, who I was doing some design for, a friend of mine, we became friends. He had lived through the Northridge earthquake and been on uh, Ambien for 30 years, which is associated with early onset Alzheimer's. His house slid down a hill with him in it and was destroyed. He survived. He never and had not been able to sleep. He was starting to get very concerned about this long-term ambient use because his father had Alzheimer's. And he overheard me talking about it um, and called me one day and said, hey, could, could this work? Could this get me off Ambien? This is about two years ago. Um, and I said, uh, it could. You know, He went to the Stella Center in Chicago, the the only place where the, the you know, where every modern protocol is followed um, are these stellar pro protocols developed by Dr. Lipov. Um, he did this over one or two days. And what's really fascinating is they're finding that adult trauma manifests itself on the left side, on the right side. And then anybody that had prepubescent trauma, like childhood trauma, that gets, for some reason, that is when they do it, do the dual sympathetic reset on the left side. They can only do one side per day. So some people like me, because I had both, I did it on the right side and then I went and did it on the left side. I got benefit from both, but the, because of my childhood, the far greater benefit came from my left side. So what I'm most, what I also, we also took a woman who never, you know, that guy did it. He, he, a week later, he weaned off Ambien. He's been off Ambien for a year and a half or two years. Um, yeah, um, I sent a, this last summer, I sent a Rwandan uh, genocide survivor. Um, but what I'm most interested in is, you know, we sent a housewife from who just got needled by her mother her whole childhood, never associated with trauma. She had all sorts of stomach issues. She had IBS. Um, she went, she was resistant to get it. She was the wife of a friend. Eventually she went and got it both sides. Uh, and, uh, her IBS went away. Never would she have associated with trauma. Never would she have. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm not. Yeah. I, I have to run and do something. Any final okay. questions that I can answer? Jamie can give you a lot of great answers. Okay. You know what? I mean, uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's so many things. I think the only thing, Jamie, I mean, I don't know. This might be technical, but uh, I, I'm glad you brought it up. There was that part of the book. You talk about the two sides, the left versus the right. Um, and so I was going to ask you a question about that. And just, but Jamie, you kind of alluded to it. Yeah. Um, so, we, so if yeah, he didn't have to go, I know a lot of the science. I can, I can represent him well. So I the think. only thing I, I'll, I'll leave you with as far as it does seem that way, that adult trauma seems to live on the right side. Childhood and adult trauma seems to be both sides. It seems that I don't know exactly, but that's where we're at. Anyway, I'm going to run. Thank you so much, Joel. Dr. Lipoff, thank I'll you. I'll see you soon, Jamie. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so, Thank you for making this work. Appreciate you showing. Yeah.
All right, Jamie. Yeah, so but, a couple, a yeah. couple, um, a couple questions because I know it's gonna be people's mind is how much does it cost? Because it's just too good to be true. It must be like a fifteen thousand, thirty thousand dollar like stem cell. No, no, no. Right? I mean, listen. I mean, you know, the whole way that I got involved in this has been was wild. I got asked to speak by two colonels that run the special forces training at Fort Bragg. They ran the training at the time a couple of years ago for all training for all special forces. And they had asked me to come speak about my other book, which is more of an art and business book. And um, I was kind of reluctant. I was nervous about the military. I know what violence looks like. I was I'm a, I was nervous about kind of American foreign policy and assisting the military. I didn't know if I wanted to do it. Um, but they said, well, you know, they had Simon Sinek in 2016. Uh, and I thought, well, that's not bad company to be in. Like, you know, and not, eventually, not <laughs> eventually I got invited to Fort Bragg and uh when the doctor found out that I got invited to Fort Bragg, he asked me, hey, you know, they're using my procedure at Womack. Can you start asking questions? And then we both ended up going to Fort Bragg uh, and he ended up doing grand rounds. And this is kind of, you know, this thing that the way this kind of all played out was very uh, providential. Um, but um, I guess the I guess was the right or left side. Was that the question? What were we talking about? We were, Sorry. We were talking about uh, the right and left side, which we kind of answered. But um, the the cost, you know, people. Are okay, the cost. Say, oh okay. my God, this is going to be okay. probably a thirty thousand dollar procedure. Okay, so one thing I will say is that the Stella Center did not exist. Um, if the Stella, which has been around for like three and a half years, if I got that wrong, I'm uh, when this private equity firm decided to team up with the doctor and a bunch of other brilliant health professionals and leaders. Uh, and start the Stella Center and open up these clinics um, all over the world. There's 35 clinics now in the United States. Okay. Uh, that's what really piqued my interest. I don't know that I would have dropped what I was doing in terms of my own work because it's a lot of work to write a book. We're also making a film. Um, it's a lot of work to inlet. But when I saw the efficacy, what it did for me, what it, I started sending friends. And most of the people that I started sending over the last two years were privileged white guys that did not associate themselves with trauma, but they were CEOs and things like that, right? Uh, These are the guys that we hear constantly talking about doing ayahuasca trips and all that. And by the way, I think that's fabulous, but you're you're right. Um, And I love that we talked about that because it's not just for the first responders. Uh, Everyone has their set of problems and a lot of people don't, it's the invisible machine. We don't see it and we don't think we have it. And so this is why it's It's a broken leg. You can't see it's literally a broken leg. You can't see. And one of the things that Dr. Libov talks about all the time is that you wouldn't ask somebody to snap out of a broken leg and you wouldn't stigmatize someone for having a broken leg. And we don't call it broken leg disorder. This lie of trauma being a disorder and not being biological is very dangerous and it's permeated our society and it's just not based on data. Okay. So, um, but to answer the cost question, I think, you know, that the last time I checked, depend, you know, depending on who you are, there's discounts for different people. It was between two and $3,000 for, to get the Stella protocol. I mean, as opposed to being on drugs for the rest of your life, you know, if you do ayahuasca, you may it may help you for a period of time. Psilocybin helps, ketamine helps. There's all sorts of modalities that help. But do we want to, you know, some of those things cause you to trip out? <laughs> you know, here there's really no downside. They use an ultrasound uh, to find the to find the the, the stellate ganglion. The shot's been around since 1925, so we know it's safe. Uh, and uh, the the upside versus no downside, there's nothing like it. And one of the things that we've seen with people that do other modalities that maybe they do yoga or they do 
you know, psilocybin or, you know, they do things or they do neurofeedback or they do hyperbaric or talk therapy. All of these things are really, really needed uh, is that when you reset the leg first, when you do the dual sympathetic wreath first, all of those things are more efficacious. It's kind of like you wouldn't do physical therapy over a broken leg. You'd reset the leg first and then you do the physical therapy, right? So that's kind of how, what I equate it to. But, you know, uh, two to $3,000 and there's lots of ways, you know, uh, there's a, the doctor's connected to a foundation called Erase PTSD Now. And there's all, you know, there's all sorts of ways to get scholarship and, and uh, yeah, so there, it's, it's not uh, very- three, 3K is a steal. I can promise uh, yeah. you that is a steal. I've done lots and lots of neurofeedback and treatments and those things add up and they're expensive. So 3K and it takes like, it's like a five minute outpatient procedure. You like leave, I don't know if it's five minutes, but it's pretty short and you're out like, you're walking out of the proceed that day. Um, you know, you're eating dinner and having, you know, that is amazing, I think. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, uh, more and more they're doing right and left side back to back for most people. So you're, you know, you're doing 15, you know, procedure takes 15 minutes and you're walking back to the hotel and then maybe you come in the next day uh, and you do it again and then you're fine. And then, yeah. you know, this thing wears off, you know, the side effects wear off between seven hours and you're, you're fine. And, and so uh, you know, the way I, I kind of equate it is kind of like when you carry, when you carry stress too long, which you can get from, not even anything that you would ever associate with trauma. Your your dad not showing up at, at uh, your, your dad not acknowledging you when he walks home from comes home from work. For a child, will make that their fault, and the, the amount of pressure that that will put on a child will be more than you can imagine. And there's a lot of ways to create that pressure that can cause this over time. Something that we don't even associate with with trauma. And um, when when you when, and so when this system gets overwhelmed either through blunt force trauma or carrying stress too long um and it stays and it stays stuck up i mean the doctor you know the way i like to reverse it really you're caught it's extra nerve growth in that ganglion and so the brain then the amygdala is reading it wrong as a traumatic event is recurring 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year you could also look at it like basically the signals reversing now these nerves are communicating to the brain and lying to the brain yeah. It's a non-scientific crude example, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, uh, like I said, it's the, um, the ultimate biohack and I'm more, I've been very interested in sending people that have the seven symptoms, seven or eight symptoms that don't associate themselves with trauma yeah. because I, I just feel like that's the largest cohort of people. You know, you might you could add up the people that are traumatized in society, those who deal with extreme stress, first responders, sexual assault victims, police officers. You know, you could add all that stuff up and maybe you would get to 25 percent of the population. Um, but but when you uh, look, there's an incredible book that came out a few years ago by a woman named Nadine Burke Harris, and it's called uh, The Deepest Well. And there's a lot of incredible data in that book. I think she's now working for the Biden administration. But basically, what she uncovered through research is that the leading cause of disease in adults um, is childhood trauma, their ACEs score, their adverse childhood experiences score. Okay. Um, what Dr. Lipov could explain if he was here, because I, I don't feel comfortable explaining the science, but I'll give a crude explanation of it. And you can look it up is when you have an overactive sympathetic nervous system, it, it your, your um, 
overproducing, I think you called nepinephrine, which is a cousin of adrenaline. Uh, your cortisol levels are spiked. It completely discombobulates your immune system. And as we start to see more and more data come in, what I think you're going to see uh, is that this is a primary driver of disease, cancer, orthopedic problems, autoimmune disease, um, because you're it's throwing the sympathetic nervous system chronically out of whack. Yeah. Excuse me, it's, it's throwing the immune uh, system chronically out of whack, having uh, this system overactive in your body. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it makes complete sense. One of my mentors, a naturopath, uh, as he taught me, is, you know, you think about your body as a rain barrel. And you body is resilient, but the more things you put into that rain barrel, such as stress, finances, uh, bad diet, poor nutrition, sleep, trauma from you were a child, you just – you can only put so much in the barrel until it starts to overflow kind of to what you're pointing you're, – you're talking about, and it's that threat bucket. And when that threat bucket gets overwhelmed, the nervous system is – can stay in these – neurofeedback loops they've seen they've seen uh, we've seen that you can get it from yeah you can get it from bullying again i yeah. think the majority of people that have this do not think what is happening to them is trauma you can get it from a husband that doesn't talk to you yes that they don't even have to be abusive right? right so um and one of the things that you know people have been asking me about it and you kind of touched on it earlier joel that i thought was so profound we talk about this in the book is you know people keep they ask that question like how long does it last what if you experience trauma again? Well, if you re-traumatize yourself, it goes right back to the way that it was, okay? And um, uh, so one of the things that I've gotten really interested in the last year, uh, as we've gotten closer and closer to the book coming out, which is just a week away, um, is this concept of resilience. You know, what can we do to, when we get elevated, to bring ourselves back? So I've been reading a lot and, you know, looking at a lot of different things that kind of bring us down. And one thing that I find is that when I'm in nature, um, it, it mitigates against uh, stress load. I, it, it brings me right down. Nature makes us present. Animals make us present. Breath makes us present. Good sleep makes us present. So I've been thinking a lot about resilience and, and I want to talk more and more about resilience, you know, um, Things that we can do to keep that once you reset this thing, that when you do get uh, feel chronic stress or you do have something that overwhelms you, how can you bring yourself out to, down to baseline so you're not stuck up and then stay stuck up? I right? love it. Yeah. Yeah, so, Jamie, that, Jamie, that's going to be the second book. Uh, I already <laughs> see that. <laughs> well, I've been immersed in it. I've been immersed in it lately and I've been uh, studying. Uh, there's a woman in Los Angeles, a PhD. That's, her name is... I think Nkem Nafubo, and she's developed this thing called the Resilience Toolkit of all these different ways you can bring yourself down. I've been kind of amazed by her work. Uh, but, um, you know, what the last, you know, one last thing that I'd like to, you know, make sure we touch upon, and, and maybe you have a question in relation to it, is, you know, the dual sympathetic reset in relation to other modalities. You know, um, like I live in the state of Oregon, and they legalized um, uh, marijuana. And we think, oh, great, we're going to give all these people relief. Well, if you look at this, the data science on what THC does to the brain is in. It ravages the brain. Mm. It, it's, it's worse than alcohol. In it causes TBI, traumatic brain injury on the brain, so harsh you could compare it to um, concussive war in terms of the type of damage that it does to the brain. So, you know, what we want to do is we don't want to um, 
you know, if you do the DSR first, right, what we don't want to do is do things that can create problems when we're trying to regulate ourselves. If you look at Gabor Mate's work, you know, talking, you know, he contributes to the book and his thoughts on the book. You know, I had growing up the way that I did, I had a lot of judgment towards addicts because I grew up around a lot of them. And I was like, why can't they just figure it out like me? Okay. So, and then when I started looking at Gabor Mate's work and, you know, what his contribution to and what he talks about in interviews I did with him with the book is really profound. And, and one of the things he talks about in, in his earlier work and is, uh, is this idea, he, he completely redefines the way you should look at an addict. An addict is not, is really a person that's trying to regulate themselves. They're trying to regulate their nervous system. So when you see somebody that's addicted to something, you're not just seeing this lazy person that just loves drugs. They're doing it because they're trying to regulate their nervous system, which is stuck in overdrive, right? So again, when we start to look at this stuff as biological, we take the stigma away and we open up, we open up an avid and, and right now there's a, a way to get reset. Jamie, I love it. I'm looking up at the time. Unfortunately, okay. I know I got to okay. run. Okay, um, you got it. I, I, I can't stress enough. The, the book is amazing, and there, there's so many things we didn't even touch on. I mean, and it, go out and get the book. It talks, I mean, we're you guys were seeing amazing results, and you mentioned it with auto people with autoimmunity, people with TBI. People, again, this isn't just for the combat warriors. You, this is for, I love it. There's a chapter just on, like, I forget. It's like the, the regular person. And it's, yes, this, this can work for everybody. And it has so many different modalities um, that what we might be thinking of and when we think of trauma. So uh, definitely go get the book, The Invisible Machine, Jamie Mustard, Dr. Lipoff. Last but not least, Jamie, um, you know, where can people check you guys out and what you're up to and what you're doing? And if they want to learn more other than the book, how can they connect with you guys? I think you should Google the Stella Center because uh, that has, um, uh, you know, the all the protocols, you know, there's this thing has been really um, the, the protocols have been really refined in the last seven years. In the last seven years, they figured out the right and left side. It went from SGB to the dual sympathetic reset. Um, it's really and all those protocols are sitting with Dr. Lipov. There's a brilliant doctor out in Annapolis named Sean Mulvaney, who's an ex-Navy SEAL who delivers this. And he was the one, I think, seven years ago-ish that figured out the left side. And then they started seeing relief from childhood trauma, right? So all of this stuff is under one roof at um, uh, the Stella Center. So I would Google the Stella Center. You can find me and my work at iconist.ltd, I-C-O-N-I-S-T dot um, LTD. And then you can Google Dr. Eugene Lipov and go to his website. And there's a million resources on his website for, um, uh, for where you can get... Uh, where you can uh, not only get relief, but see the whole history of this, his, his incredible innovation. Jamie, amazing. Dr. Lipoff, thank you both for being on the show. And uh, yeah, go out and get the book and check out these guys. Amazing work. Thank you. Incredible conversation. Um, Joel, thank you so much uh, for hosting it. it. It was an honor to be here. Thanks, brother.